bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dregu. We're glad you can join us. The FBI is arresting a journalist from The Blaze for his J6 coverage. Also, Mitch McConnell is stepping down from his Senate leadership position. We'll look at the good and the bad of McConnell's tenure. And the governor of Texas just told the United Nations to go pound sand. We're going to discuss why. We got all that coming up. But first, yesterday there was a press conference in Athens, Georgia, regarding the murder of nursing student Lakin Riley, who was allegedly killed by an illegal alien from Venezuela. During the press conference, this happened. I've received many calls, many emails, many queries from the press in recent days about this notion of a sanctuary city. And so I want to lay some things to rest here today. This term sanctuary city doesn't have a sole legal or procedural definition. You can look in Georgia statute and you can find a clear definition for a unified government. You can look in contractual language and you can find out exactly what it means to be an SEC institution. Sanctuary city doesn't track with either of those. And so that term means different things to different people depending on the context of the discussion. Many, many of the elements, many of the elements, we're here to listen, we're here to listen, there will be time for questions. You are guilty and got blood on your head for this murder, sir. Many of the aspects that are ascribed to sanctuary cities are things that are disallowed by Georgia law. And we contribute a document every year to the Georgia Department of Audits, indicating that we do not correspond to these definitions under state law. Yes, you do. And no policies have been adopted Please by the mayor and commission that have created sanctuary guy. city status in Sir, Athens. You need to resign. One protocol resign that sometimes now. arises. Resign, resign now. You one protocol. Sir. One protocol that you sometimes arises, and I understand in the wake of a great tragedy like this, we are all deeply hurt, and everybody expresses their hurt differently. Uh, who just, voted, just, who just voted to, to, to make Athens-Clark County a sanctuary city, sir? Who? What's their name? What legislation were you talking about? My, I'm an old man. My ears can only hear one thing at a time, and so I'm asking you, Claudia, if you'd repeat that question. Yeah. Um, we want to ask questions, You mentioned too. something about ahead, legislation earlier. I couldn't hear what you were saying because mm -hmm. of um, the protest. Could you just repeat what you were saying about legislation? I certainly will. There's been no legislation from this government that has created sanctuary city status. Uh, I also it's mentioned the prospect of federal legislation. What I'd like to note is that here in Athens-Clark County, we center our work in the public sector. You need to go, sir. We don't want to hear from you no more. You're not defending us. You're not upholding your oath of office, sir. You are lawless. You are a criminal. If non-members of the press, yeah, I'm a press member might be asked to leave. The people. We created this government, and we pay your salary. You do what we want you to do, not, not your, what you want to do. That's the problem agenda. with this lawlessness in our country. I want to say that we center our work here in Athens-Clark County in people's humanity. And part of everybody's humanity is the expectation of human dignity. While 2019 was not that long ago, 
you might remember the dynamic we were living in in the late teens in this country where you had the President of the United States speaking in the most vile terms about people who were foreign born. And you had that notion oh, metastasizing in places like Charlottesville. So when we have was a criminal, and you know what I thought about doing? Crossing the border to Mexico to get away from my crimes. Son, I'm going to ask you to leave. Jesus Christ, he saved me, and I no longer live that lawless life, I'm, which you do. What we wish to do is dignify everybody's humanity. There's nothing in that no, resolution no. that That's creates the wall. You, you took an oath to uphold the law, not your feelings or nor your opinion. Chief, I'm you not you you No, sir. You're talking BS to us right now. I, I need to answer one question sir, at a time. Right here, sir. Alex I, I'm going to continue my answer for a moment no. ago, and then I'll get it. Okay. You called me a white supremacist in your resolution. Well, that was not no. nice to me. What, what we, we wish to do. This is America still. Kylie family, an apology for allowing that to happen in the first place. Yeah. We are deeply sorry for this tragedy. The responsibility for this crime rests solely upon the perpetrator. No, rest on you, sir. In case you're wondering, yes, Athens is a sanctuary city. The local news outlet, WSB-TV, reported that in the state of Georgia, Atlanta, Clayton County, DeKalb County, and Athens-Clark County are all considered sanctuary cities. According to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, a sanctuary city is a city or jurisdiction that limits its cooperation with federal immigration enforcement efforts to protect low-priority immigrants from deportation. In 2009, the state of Georgia voted to outlaw sanctuary cities. However, there were still jurisdictions at the local level that allowed sanctuary cities. So join me to discuss today's stories as executive senior editor of The New American, Steve Bonta. Hey, Steve. Hello, Paul. So, you know, as uh, as disruptive as that man was, he was at least polite because he said, sir, after every time he yelled. But I think he reflects um, a lot of the frustration that people have when they when they, there's an official, uh, a government leader or whatever, he sits up there and he boldly lies to them. And you could tell he was lying and he knew that he was lying because he was going around with like uh, sneaky legalese talk. And I think the man is one of many who just had enough. What do you make of this? You brought this up to me yesterday. Well, just stylistically, the distillate of good politics is learning how to lie politely. <laughs> All politicians do it. And that means to lower the cadence of your voice and speak so mm. in soft, reassuring cadence uh, t tones and to look people in the eye, maybe get a little teary-eyed even, mm -hmm. and lie. Yes. What you don't want to do is lie brashly or in a shifty-eyed manner because people find that offensive. And so, you know, but, but I mean, we're, as we kind of mentioned, I think, in yesterday's show, too, I mean, we're, we're sort of transitioning into this new era where the old reassurances and the, the theatrical aspect of politics, or the choreographed aspect, where we all agree to, to be reassured by all the, the, the soothing lies— is sort of passing from the scene, and it's being replaced by this new emphasis on authenticity. And so people who talk in this way, who know how to parse their tones and sound authoritative and sound competent and professional, all this, and yet are lying through their teeth, yeah. are less and less in favor, at least outside of the few you know, blue enclaves 
you know, r- you know, suburban and urban America where people still kind of conduct their their, their transactions in this way. But mm-hmm. outside of that, I mean, it th- was somewhat similar culturally to the age of Andrew, Andrew Jackson because prior to Jackson, the United States had been had elected a series of you know, undeniably very competent individuals, yeah. founding fathers, all of them. Very In the case of Quincy Adams, the fu- the son of a founding father, all the rest of them, you know, they were men of, you know, very polished, refined men, very educated men. Jefferson. And frankly, you know, by today's standards, I, I would say, very, you know, very good presidents, one and all. But there were, they, they were perceived by people living in rural America as being lacking in authenticity. So in this rough-hewn and somewhat amoral character. I mean, I'm not a particular fan of Jackson myself. Mm. Well, he's often been compared to Trump. You know, came in swaggering into the White House. You know, the first thing that happened was that all of his his supporters, you know, all of his homies from out in Appalachia came into and through this wild drunken party, trashed the White House and the ground. No kidding. Oh, absolutely. It was absolutely. And, you I know, know that Jackson was going to beat up Quincy sure. Adams at a at a shindig. That's yeah, the and kind I mean, of person and, and he was. Sure, and the, and the the Washington establishment then as now was concerned with propriety and all of these niceties. Uh, obviously, they they lied then as they do now. And they were appalled at this, at this spectacle, just as they're appalled by by the unruly, insubordinate MAGA movement and its, you know, yeah. ir- unrepentant leader, Don, uh, Donald Trump. And you know, they same would probably kind of put this guy in that category. Oh, like, absolutely. See, this, this is MAGA, that sure. guy. Sure. Yeah, no, he's absolutely, you know, he's, he's a small mayor of a small city, but he has all of the right, checks the right boxes. Of course, later in the speech, he did reveal where he was coming from, where he, t- where he talked about, oh, we used to have this president who said all these horrible things yeah, yeah, about yeah. foreigners. So, so you know where he's coming from. Yeah, that, you know? exactly. And um, I'm glad that they called him out for what it is. It looks like people have had enough. After this, a J6 investigative journalist was just notified by the FBI that he's being arrested. Life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this Polish Collector's Edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, 
the foundation of freedom. Welcome back, folks. So I want to uh, continue this conversation from the last segment. What I found, another thing I found interesting in that press conference, the recording of that press conference, is that it seemed like some of the people there, the irate people who were yelling, and it wasn't just that one gentleman because there were other others there, were surprised to find out that their city was, their, their jurisdiction was a sanctuary city. What do you make of that? Is this a further sign that we need, people need to understand what's happening or else these people are going to, you know, run off and, and turn their city into sanctuary cities without anyone knowing? Well, the former Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, back in the Reagan era, famously said that all politics is local. Now, I'm no fan of Tip O'Neill, don't get me wrong, but he was at least, he had at least half a point. I mean, you, you often hear people say, well, we have a democracy, and that's not true, okay? We have a republic, a constitutional republic, at the federal and the state level, but at the local level, government does tend to be more democratic with these, you know, town hall meetings and PTA meetings, all this stuff, and it is very easy for people to get into this idea that the only thing that really matters is voting for president every four years, maybe voting for, you know, for, mm. for, the, for the national, the state, the Senate and this kind of thing. But local elections, well, you know, I don't want to be that annoying person that's always going to town hall meeting and like the people on the, on, the, on the video clip, raising a ruckus. I just want to leave my life. And it's not really terribly important what goes on at the local level, but it is. And local government has the same set of perverse incentives yes. to amass power, to be secretive, to distance itself from the will of the electorate that the government at the federal or state level has. And so people need to be correspondingly uh, you know, diligent and vigilant and involved and need to understand that you know, to, the, to the extent that we're a democracy at all, you know, we are you know, kind of democratic at the local level where you can show up and make your voice heard in town hall meetings and, 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 and these sorts of things, much to the annoyance, of course, of people like the, the Athens mayor who clearly wanted to just be able to speak his piece <laughs> yeah. in the usual reassuring tones and get out over BS, with. And, oh, we feel so terrible about all of this. And so when to be confronted in this way mm -hmm. by an unruly mob of constituents was surely shocking. But... This is the way local politics ought to be conducted, maybe with a, a tad more decorum. But if people took the, the, the trouble to inform themselves more thoroughly and to reflect that in the votes, there wouldn't be this sort of crisis mode where, oh, you mean they did that? Let's go to the town hall and raise a yeah. ruckus and scream and yell and maybe break a few things. You know, obviously you don't want to have to go to that extreme. So, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully this, this, this awakening that we're seeing reflected in the MAGA movement at the national scale and even the state scale is also going to be reflected at the local level where people are going to start saying, you know, we need to assume the responsibility for, for self-government once again. Yeah. I mean, clearly that frustration, like I said last segment, is I guarantee you that's reflected all across the nation. I mean, when he's yelling, this is an invasion. We didn't know who voted for this. Those are the talking points. That's what's going through people's mind. And speaking of frustration, let's look at our next story. The FBI just told Blaze investigative reporter Steve Baker to self-surrender for arrest by Friday. He announced in December that the FBI said the U.S. Department of Justice would be charging him for his J6 reporting. It's been a waiting game ever since. Last year, he posted this on X. I did no violence, property damage, or parading on January 6th. I behaved as a journalist and followed the story where it went that day, period. Anyone who has followed my work knows that I am not even a Trump supporter. 
They know the story I've been working on for 10 months and am about to drop. They're not going to stop it from coming out. Their timing for this action is fully transparent. I will not go gentle into that good night. Baker has been instructed to turn himself in at the FBI agency's field office at 7 a.m. wearing shorts and sandals, which he says indicates that the plan is to humiliate him and put him in an orange jumpsuit, handcuff him, and do the prisoner transport routine. Baker told the Blaze, quote, They didn't have to go this route. We have been told that my charges are only misdemeanors, and my attorneys have been assured that this will be an in-and-out affair with no intention to detain me. Rather than issuing a simple order to appear, they went the arrest warrant route. The Blaze also reported that Baker said he still doesn't know what the charges against him are and that the powers that be won't tell his attorney because they believe he'll post them on social media. Steve, I think it was last week we did that episode of whether or not we are a banana republic. Um, I think this is another example, another notch in the yes column. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely headed in that direction. This isn't the first time that, and probably won't be the last time, that the federal government persecutes journalists. You know, that was done in World War I, World War II, the Civil War, all the way back, you know, to the beginning of the Republic, really. There's and all always, the communist countries? <laughs> well, they actually, well no, I'm, just, no I'm just talking about us, what, oh, oh. you know, what, what, what we do here. So this is, this is nothing new. Um, I think we're, in, we're definitely in a downward swing right now. It's very clear that the, the level of persecution is comparable to that of, oh, say, Woodrow Wilson against journal, dissenting journalists and other you know, high-profile dissenters against his war program during World War I, this kind of thing. So there are some similarities to that. Where it's all going to lead, I don't know. What is Baker? Well, I know you don't know, but I'm really curious as to what Baker uh, has that so many others don't have. I mean, you had Congressman Clay Higgins, which we reported on about two to three months ago when he sat with Tucker Carlson and he said the FBI is involved. They they help concoct this conspiracy. How is that different? At what point do they start going after congressmen and whatnot? Because I can't imagine that Baker has anything more uh, more destructive to the FBI than what Clay Higgins is talking about. Well, I, I, and again, in our history, we have gone after congressmen too. Lincoln did that during during the Civil War, you know. And so this this is not, none of this is new, but it's certainly new to to our time. I mean, the the thing that to me is is infuriating. There's actually a slogan carved onto the, the building where the Department of Justice is housed. And it says, where the law ends, tyranny begins. And that's actually not correct. <laughs> what, what, what actually, tyranny actually involves either the selective enforcement of the law or the enforcement of laws that are not just. Mm -hmm. And we see both of these being carried out. For example, I am reliably informed that it is a federal crime to stand on a bench inside the Capitol Rotunda and that this reporter has admitted to doing such. So it, he could well be charged, you know, arraigned and charged for standing on a bench, which is, falls into the category of manifestly unjust legislation. Then there's the matter of what laws we choose to enforce. We just got through hearing from the Depart from Department of Justice's uh, special prosecutor that we're not going to go do anything about the fact that Biden, as a U.S. senator, mm. as a vice president, and as a president, has been squirreling away large troves of classified documents inside his house for years and years that he knew were there. On one occasion, told his ghostwriter, I believe, don't, you know, actually no one knows they're here. So he was well aware that this was not 
uh, you know, some kind of oversight by his staff. But we were told, no, we're not going to go after him because he's kind of a feeble old man and people view him too favorably and, and they won't convict him. So we're just going to let it go. Okay. What? So contrast that with the ferocity and consistency yeah. and pharisaical application of every jot and tittle of federal mm. law to the J6 protesters, prosecuting yeah. every one of them to the fullest possible extent of every reg regulation and codicil thereof to what's being done to brush aside the peccadilloes and corruption of the Biden family. Yeah, it's so obvious to so many what this is about. And um, I don't know where this is going to go. And I don't think anyone knows. I mean, this, this has been a long time. Uh, this guy has been covering. Maybe they're just really terrified of his story. So we're going to keep an eye out on this. After this, Mitch McConnell is retiring from Senate leadership. We'll look at his impact over the years. Imprisonment. Forced labor. Permanent separation from my family. Perhaps death. I knew what could happen to people who were caught trying to defect. But the watchtowers stood yards away. The possibility of a new life in a different world. One without tyranny was within sight, the West. I thought of the rewards no longer crushed under the boot of communism. I would work and make money, no longer restrained by the chains of collectivism. I would say what I wanted, without fear of spies and informants nearby. I would be free. The frozen rain and Romanian mud sipped through my gloves and cloths. I fantasized about the fire burning in the wood stove of my parents' home. But I pushed those thoughts from my mind, closed my eyes, and waited for the cover of the darkness. Get Defector, a true story of tyranny, liberty, and purpose by Mark Hobavkovich with Paul Dragu, a thrilling page-turner that will remind you how precious yet vulnerable freedom is. Available at shopjbs.org or Amazon. For a limited time, get 20% off your entire order using promo code DEFECTOR20 when you purchase DEFECTOR at shopjbs.org. For more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, hit the subscribe button. Or, if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. It's the end of an era in the U.S. Senate. Mitch McConnell, the longest-serving party leader in the chamber's history, is stepping down as GOP leader this November to make room for a new generation of leadership. Here's part of his announcement. So as I've been thinking about when I would deliver some news to the Senate, I always imagined a moment when I have total clarity and peace about the sunset of my work. A moment when I'm certain I have helped preserve the ideals I so strongly believe that day arrived today. My goals when I was narrowly elected to the Senate back in 1984 were fairly modest. 
do a good job for the people of Kentucky and convince them that by doing so, they might rehire me for a second term. That was it. That was the plan. If you would have told me 40 years later that I would stand before you as the longest serving Senate leader in American history, frankly, I would have thought you'd lost your mind. The senior senator from Kentucky just turned 82, and he's had some very public health problems recently. However, in his speech on the Senate floor, there was no indication that he's going to retire completely from the Senate. There's also no clear sign of who will replace him, but all eyes are on the so-called three Johns. John Thune of South Dakota, the current minority whip, John Cornyn of Texas, the former majority whip, and John Barrasso of Wyoming, the chair of the Senate Republican Conference and the third ranking Republican in the Senate. Okay, Steve, so Mitch DeRino is kind of a mixed bag when it comes to accomplishments and, and harms and whatnot. Why don't you fill us in a little bit on that? Well, he is the longest serving ever party leader in Senate history, which is something, I guess. He's, he's mentioned he's been in the Senate for 40 years. He was elected when Ronald Reagan started his second term as president. So that's, that's some considerable political longevity. That's as long as they've been alive. Yeah, and, and I mean, we have to remember that back in those days, you know, in R Mitch's formative years in Congress, what we now called a rhino was called a mainstream conservative Republican. I mean, that, that, that's how far the Overton window, mm. at least as far as, you know, the right has concerned, has shifted from that time to ours. I mean, I remember clearly back in the 80s and 90s, there was like one guy in the Senate who was pretty reliable, general, you know, genuine Americans and conservative most of the time, but not all the time. That was Jesse Helms. But there was nobody like, you know, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, you know, Ron Johnson, people like this in the Senate. They, 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 they just didn't exist mm. back in, you know, they were, they were unicorns as yes. far as the Senate was concerned back in the day. And, you know, Mitch McConnell is part of that generation that came of age in the World War II, you know, post-World War II era where conservatism was first and foremost not about allegiance to the Constitution or principles of limited government or even concerns about, you know, the globalism. It was about loving America, supporting America's benign mission to uh, bring about world peace and world order and all and this sort of thing. And democracy everywhere. Yeah, and, and elsewhere in, his, in that talk yesterday, you know, Mitch McConnell mentioned this, that he has believed his entire adult life that this is what America's role should be, okay? And that really, there are still some— dinosaurs mostly, in the Senate, a few in the House, like the soon-to-retire Mike, Mike Gallagher, our own congressional representative, who have that same belief, uh, which is very much at variance with the founder's vision for the United States, but has become the regnant philosophy among so-called conservatives for this, this period, you know, encompassing World War II and the post-World you know, War era. But we're out of that era now. Most of the people who fought in World War II who remember that time are dead, all right? So that, that point of view, the, and this is why, for example, there's so much pushback against getting involved in the Ukraine war, for example, uh, among many other things. So Mitch McConnell- have been like that in the Right, 80s, I mean, huh? Mitch, Mitch McConnell is very much, even though he's not much older than Donald Trump, I mean, Donald Trump very much reflects the, this, this new view, this non-interventionist, anti-globalist view, and I may say the view that we at the John Birch Society, the New American, have had all along, which is that these things- are a threat to our sovereignty, to our constitution, to limited government, everything else. That views the we reason we exist. Sure. 
Okay, so 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 that's the Mitch. So now we call people like Mitch McConnell rhinos, or you know, Republican establishment creatures. Mm. And most of us are glad to see him sort of at least. I mean, he's not going to shuffle off this mortal coil or even leave the Senate just yet. They'll probably carry him out of there in a casket one of these days. But at least he's stepping down as the leader of the GOP. Now, in fairness to McConnell, he I mean his his conservative his Freedom Index, you know, rating is not very good. It's fifty percent. Okay. Lifetime, lifetime here, here in, in in our in our freedom index. Okay, but you know he has done some good things. One of them is that he really, really he made sure that Merrick Garland didn't get on the Supreme Court. Yeah, thank okay, goodness back for that. in 2016. And I think now seeing what the havoc that Garland is wreaking in the in the Department of Justice, we're glad that he doesn't have enjoy a lifetime tenure in the Supreme Court. Uh, not only that, while Trump was president, although he and McConnell never got along, you know they were frenemies at best. He certainly did his best to get lots and lots of, of Trump judicial appointments, including three pretty good Supreme Court support, uh, you know, uh, appointments through over the objections of the ever-obstreperous Senate Democrats. So there's that. And of course, the Biden's administration is doing everything it can to, re- to totally reverse that. They've been appointing judges at a record pace. And so we'll see how that is. So, you know, Mitch isn't all bad. Um, he's also been married for a very long time. His second wife, Elaine Chao, is one of the members of, of, of one of communist China's most wealthy and influential families, indeed, the first family mm, of Chinese yeah. shipping and everything else. So there's, well, there have always been a lot of whispers that he may be not an, an unbiased party as far as the U.S.-China US -China relations are concerned. Yeah. So what about these three Johns? Um, how do we know that they're uh, they're in the running? It's those three. And well, well, what do we make of them? Late breaking news, John Cornyn has already announced as of oh an hour or so ago that he is putting his hat in the ring as McConnell's successor. Mm -hmm. All of them are better than McConnell in terms of their freedom index. Uh, Cornyn is, of course, the worst. He comes in at a, a, a an underwhelming 56% lifetime freedom wow. index score. John Thune isn't much better. I think his is 60%. Barrasso, the third one, who is from Wyoming, is actually pretty good. His cumulative score is 78, mm. which ain't too bad. Yeah. So of the three, Barrasso is the one that we would like to see if it comes down to them. Obviously, we'd rather see Mike Lee or Ron Johnson or somebody of that kidney. But, yeah. you know, the way the Senate works and the fact that it is much, much less uh, obstreperous and easier to control on the part of the establishment than the House is, I think it's rather unlikely that one of those, th those the you really good it, ones. I might end up yeah. with Corn. Yeah. When I was at the Texas GOP convention last year, um, a large portion of the people I talk to and, you know, there's a lot of MAGA, America First type of people down there. Nobody liked Cornyn. In fact, I think he was even booed at some point. And there was there was some, uh, I totally forgot, there was some controversy going on at the time. Uh, and they don't seem to be big fans of Cornyn. Now, obviously, he, he, he must have some because he was elected. So uh, we'll, well see the way. We have to remember that under the Constitution, the Senate originally was designed to represent the state legislatures mm. and not the people. You're right. And many of those same that the institutional safeguards insulating them from the will of the of, of the unwashed masses that don't exist for the House are still in place for the Senate. So whether or not the people like a particular senator, it's it matters whether his colleagues in the Senate like him or not. That's mm. going to be the determining factor. Yeah, we'll definitely be watching this. It'll, this is very important to see. Uh, who takes over from it for Mitch there. After this, LGBTQ groups are trying to sick the United Nations on Texas for its common sense legislation. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. 
Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the Singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep, and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's Issue of the New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. On Sunday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott told the United Nations to go pound sand. Abbott was responding to a letter sent last month to the United Nations on behalf of LGBTQ groups who are accusing the governor and other state officials of infringing on the rights of their people through administrative and legislative actions. The LMNOP group's petition to the UN specifically mentions seven bills the Texas legislature passed. They include Senate Bill 14, which bans healthcare providers from mutilating minors under the erroneously named gender-affirming care label. Senate Bill 17, which prevents public universities from maintaining diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Senate Bill 15 presents, pre prevents transgender athletes from competing at the college level. Senate Bill 763 allows unregistered religious chaplains to counsel children in Texas public schools. Senate Bill 12 restricts drag performances. House Bill 900 allows schools to ban LGBTQ library books. And House Bill 2127 limits the ability of cities to pass certain local ordinances that conflict with state law. The letter asked that the U.N. call for the bills to be repealed and encourage the passage of stronger state and federal so-called non-discrimination protection. All right, Steve. So it sounds to me like Texas is doing all the right things, but I'm curious as to what these groups know that they would appeal to the United Nations. What makes them believe or know that the United Nations has any clout over what the heck Texas does? Well, I don't know how much clout it may have, but it certainly is completely sympathetic to... This derangement? This, well, not to put this too degeneracy? Finally, to the degenerates and the perverts. Absolutely. I mean, the, the organization is riddled with such. And this has, been, this has been a rolling scandal for years. You know, every periodically they find out that, you know, some sex, you know, child porn trafficking ring was... Was uh, was nestled within uh, you know UNESCO or or something like this, and you know they literally you know many of their people don't see anything wrong with this because quite frankly many of them are involved in 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 child porn and pedophilia and, and things of this nature, distasteful subjects all on their own account. I recall vividly many years ago, well twenty years ago ish, I was at a, a UN conference and I managed to buttonhole and I forget her name now, but the lady who was at the head of UNICEF at the time. 
And she had just given a speech in which she was talking about, uh, you know, you know, safe, safeguarding the rights of children around the world. Well, I, at that time, I, I was fresh off of a research trip, my, my PhD research in, in Sri Lanka, which is a country with notorious child sex trafficking issues. Okay. And so I asked her about this. I said, because she had, she had been to Sri Lanka recently and this sort of thing. And, and so I said, you know, what, what, if anything, you know, do you intend to do uh, as far as the rights of children you know, being exploited in places like Sri Lanka. And she said, well, I think we should be totally opposed to child soldiers, referring to the civil war that was going on in Sri Lanka at the time where, you know, children were being recruited by the Tamil Tigers and so forth. It didn't even occur to her that I was referring to this other end. And I sort of clarified, I remember she got very uncomfortable at that point. I said, well, actually, I was talking about, you know, all of the, you know, the child, uh, the sex traffickers. I actually remember one time I was walking out at night and I was approached by a sex trafficker of children in Sri Lanka who saw me a foreigner assumed I was there for these these purposes. So it's very per, you know pervasive. Yeah. It's it's scary evil stuff. But it didn't even occur to her that that's what I was interested in. You know, they, and I remember thinking, "Huh, you know, naive me. This was a long time ago, but thinking, wow, you know, this, I, I, you know, that her, that she would go to child soldiers and not think about, you know, the thing that everybody thinks about Sri Lanka and Thailand, you know, people who've yeah. been there know about this and uh, this sort of thing." So yeah, it's not something that they, you know, for all of their talk about the exploitation of children, generally what they mean is child soldiers, child labor. Mm. Okay. They don't, not, they don't want to talk about the other one because it's icky and well, that's all conspiracy wow, theory anyway. And that's all, you know, those crazy people who think that Jeff Epstein didn't kill himself and, and so forth and so on. Yeah. When in point of fact, you know, it's a real issue. So I mean, that's only part of this whole Texas thing. And, and I don't want to just broad brush and generalize, the, you know, obviously there are other you know, but 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 this this whole you know, the drag queen stuff, everything else is all part and parcel of the effort to sexualize children. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's, I mean, I mean, the drag queens aren't aren't aiming their entertainment at consenting adults. The they, reason yeah. why I mean, there've been drag queens around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, they've always been around in the more, more seedy bohemian yeah. precincts of, of 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 large cities and so forth. This is not a new thing. Yeah, okay? but what is new is this deliberate effort. To, to target get, children. To target children, to get them to, to see this as something yes. that's normal and acceptable. So that's the common thread, and that's kind of why I went in that rant about children, because yeah. that's really what's involved. And I, the UN is is definitely complicit. Yeah, I mean, when I was in Texas, uh, at the Texas GOP convention, I remember it, that deal where, uh, I think it was in Dallas, where there was a strip club or a drag show, and they had invited children. That had just erupted, and, and that was fresh in everyone's mind, so... I'm wondering if that's uh, this bill was in response to that. Uh, and I mean, you look at the other things that we mentioned. I mean, the the bills to prevent ch- uh, what they call gender affirming, which is obviously stupid because that's not what it is at all. All these things you look at and, and you're, you think, boy, everyone should be doing this. We all should be doing this. Nobody is saying that this means that, you know, a homosexual people and trans people or whatever can't don't have the same civil rights, but you have no right to mutilate children. It's like, this is going to be a battle. People need to realize this is going to be a battle. These perverts, these groups who support these perverts are not going to sit by and allow this to happen, allow people of common sense and sanity and religious uh, convictions to just take everything back after they've made, in their, in their view, I'm sure they look like they've made so much uh, progress. Here's the problem, Paul. Good people don't spend their time obsessing about these things right? for the most part. And they get squeamish. A lot of people do. And understand, I mean, normal, decent people 
who live their nice, quiet lives, you know, and, and, and do their normal thing. I'd like to count myself among them. Maybe, I don't know. But, uh, but, but, you know, we don't go around thinking about this stuff all the time. You know, normal people don't consume child pornography. Normal people have no idea what's on the dark web or the sorts of, the, you know, the evil that men do. Mm. And, and good for them. You know, I mean, I mean we, sh- we shouldn't. I mean, there's, a much, there's so much beauty in this world. There are so many wonderful things that yes. we can do and accomplish with our lives. It's a perfectly understandable impulse to say, you know, I just, I don't want to hear about this. The problem is, though, that evil never, evil never relents. And at certain times in history, when it becomes ascendant, it becomes insistent. It gets in your face. I mean, you know, the good citizens of Constantinople back in the days of the Byzantine Empire were also led a very insular life. You know, they, they lived their, you know, their, their, their Greek Orthodox faith. They were surrounded by the affluence of this wonderful civilization that had managed to avoid the Dark Ages altogether. Until one day, the Turks came to call, knocked down the walls, and the next thing they knew, all their children were being raped and sold into slavery, and suddenly all these horrific evils that had been outside the walls yeah. were inside the walls, but it was too late to confront it. Now, that's a pretty harsh metaphor, but, but this kind of thing has always been a reality of human history. You know, mm-hmm. peder- pederasty and you know, yes. legalize, legalize, you know, child prostitution and so forth. These were very much features of ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and, this, and I'll be there people that say that that's not really true. Well, it was, okay. It's in fact, generally speaking outside the Christian world, you always find it. And I, and I know where I speak because I've spent a lot of time living in non-Western countries and you see this, you see, you know, children subjected to, to horrific abuse and neglect and so forth. It would not be countenanced in any decent society. The problem is those things are coming here now mm-hmm. and they're going to keep coming until decent good people say, okay, it's time to take the blinders off. It's time maybe to cast aside for a while the comfortable illusions that I've enjoyed and, and, and join battle against these people because otherwise they're going to destroy our civilization root and branch and they're going to do it by destroying our children and by, by, by stripping them of their innocence. Absolutely. They're destroying our children. They're destroying the next generation because they want to destroy the country. And like you said, if pe- people have to realize, like that man in that first segment, you can see he had enough. People have to realize this is what's coming. These perverts, these, these people will, these degenerates will come after us. They'll come after our children and they will destroy our, our civilization. And I don't think everyone realizes that, but I think it's starting to sink in. What, what's the Edmund Burke quote that the, all that is needed for evil to prevail is that good men do nothing. Is that it? Essentially, yes. Yes. And, and so that's, it's, that's as true as it gets. And, and, that's and the where point we, is that good people, generally their inclination is to do nothing when it comes to confronting extreme forms of evil because they just, it, they're out of their element. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of The New American Daily. Please visit thenewamerican.com for more truth-binding news. And join us again tomorrow. <laughs>